Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue kingdom of God justice. Um, yeah, I'm very excited about this new series we're starting. Um, prayer changes things. The first thing it changes is me. But I think that this is not just a new sermon series. It's my prayer that it's a new season in our church uh, of leaning into prayer of leaning into what the Holy Spirit is really doing in our community. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. To start off, there's a question that maybe I have thought about a lot, too much as possible. If God wants to do amazing things in me, in my heart, in, in my, my life, if God wants to do amazing things through our church to see, you know, so many people come to know him and healings and signs and wonders. If God wants to do amazing things in our community, why doesn't he just do it already? Like, what's the holdup? Uh, I'm not opposed. I, I think we're semi-like. Like, why, why did, go, go ahead, God. Why doesn't he just do it already? If you are praying for something, praying for someone Uh, a loved one, a a tough situation in your family, work, finances. Has it been a while? If, If you're holding out for a move of God, why doesn't God just do it? I, I don't know why God doesn't just do it. I don't know what his purposes are to, to test us or wait for the, the right moment. But what I do know is that I think there's a pattern, typically before a a move of God, that there's a time of waiting and endurance and struggle before the revival, the victory, the overcoming. We see this pattern of, of breakthrough where we have to hold on and wait and struggle, and God moves and works. That's why we wait not just to bide our time until God does what he decides to do, but there's a pattern of breakthrough. So this morning, I want us to learn from two people who did this dynamic of breakthrough really well and see how this speaks to us and leads us both individually and as a community into prayer that breaks through. So let's pray as we turn to Scripture. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. Would your word be life and truth for us? We don't come today to make up our own ideas, new ideas. We come to be guided uh, by the truth of your word that you have divinely inspired very different folks throughout centuries uh, with. So Jesus... Speak to me, my heart. Touch me, change me today. And Jesus, when we hear your word in scripture, would that just be it? We don't question or say, oh, maybe maybe in their lives, but not in my life. Would your word be truth in our lives today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. This is early on in the life of Jesus, eight days early on in the life of Jesus, to be specific. Um, (coughs) Sorry. 
as uh, a Jewish child, uh, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to be presented in the temple. Uh, he had to do some things that not every baby would have chosen for themselves. Um, but Mary and Joseph took them there with an offering of two birds, presented him at the temple. And at that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Friends, he had something that he was holding on for. He said, I, I have this promise from the Lord. I want to see this before I die. Do we have anything that grand and big that we're holding before I die? That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow until the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God with fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. Anna and Simeon both had breakthrough faith. Both had an anointing and a calling that led them to see this breakthrough in their lives. Anna stayed in the temple day and night. Simeon didn't. He just happened to stop by at the right time. But both were led to the place of God's presence. There's no formula other than being where God says to be. Both had words from the Lord that carried them through. Simeon, his name means to hear, not to want, not to wish for, but to hear. And he listened intently. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit showed things to him. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit moved on him. Verse 27, he heard the Holy Spirit, obeyed, and followed. You know, energy and excitement isn't enough to carry us through to our breakthrough. I doubt that Anna and Simeon had a ton of youthful energy and good vibes. and We need something more if we're to see breakthrough. 
We need faith that comes from God's word, from standing strong on something way beyond our own wishes and wants. They trusted the word of God, were obedient, not to a formula, but to persistent prayer. And they saw God move how they had always hoped he would. This morning, I want us to learn a couple things from them that I think apply really well to us. First, uh, about them. You know, if we look at the two of them and what similarities they had, both of them were of upstanding character. Simeon is called righteous and devout. It's really good to get both words, righteous and devout. Anna is given the title of a prophet. They're a really good character, but also they were both very old. Simeon knew that the end of his days was coming near. Anna, at 84, was way beyond the average life expectancy of her time. And being old isn't just incidental to the story. They just happen to whatever be that age. Being old is actually crucial to their story because it means that they had held on and waited and prayed for a very long time. They were not in their 20s or 30s and have been praying this for 5, 10 years. No, they've been praying this for almost a lifetime. If I had to pick a life verse for the both of them, I'd choose for them Psalm 27. I am confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Wait patiently for the Lord. (coughs) You know, as we think about holding on and praying for something for an uncomfortably long time, maybe eight years ago, um, my brother uh, told each of the family members, he's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not about this church thing. I'm atheist, agnostic, uh, whatever. Um, I was really a little surprised, disappointed, shocked. And I said, I, I'm going to pray for him every day. So I started out praying for him every day. I did, you know, more or less most days for a year, two years. And then you know, I think I just got used to it. I got you. It became normal. And, you know, I can tell this story because, you know, my brother's not watching the live stream. Uh, even, even as the best Christian, I don't think very many people want to watch their big sister preach. You might have gotten too much of that in childhood. Um, but he's a good guy and uh, very responsible and I just got used to it. Still pray for him, maybe, you know, once a week more if we see each other more. George Mueller, he uh, was a great Christian, started orphanages and stuff. He had a friend who he, who his friend didn't know Jesus, wasn't following Jesus, and he prayed for him every single day. For 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, every single day. And then, guess what happened? He died. 
So he stopped praying for him at George Mueller's funeral. That friend runs up to the pastor and is like, I have to start following Jesus. It's convicting for me. Are we praying for anything that we're willing to wait for? Are we praying for anything that we're willing to wait for? And in Simeon, uh, they were old, and in their age, they were aware of their weaknesses and their limits. Maybe they had tried as younger folks to get the Messiah. Maybe they had done a little Messiah campaign. I don't know how that would have worked. But they, they knew that they could not accomplish this. They had reached the end of themselves, and that is exactly where Jesus shows up. Luke introduces Simeon by saying that he was eagerly waiting for salvation. Eagerly waiting for salvation. We could translate this word as ready to receive to oneself. The term expresses an eagerness to welcome in. It's something more than just passively biding your time and waiting around. There's an anticipation to you. Like, okay, come on, you're ready. There's stamina, there's energy, capacity, tenacity there. Simeon wasn't just kicking back and doing nothing. Anna waited by stationing herself in the temple, in God's presence for decades. As a young grieving widow, she could have been hopeless and and lost. Instead, she was prayerful and steadfast. Anne Voskamp wrote that waiting on God is the very real work of the people of God. If God is going to do something, we have to wait for him to do it. We have to hold the door open and say, you go first, God. We have to hold space and wait for God to move. Now, usually how most of us wait is what's happening, nothing's happening, uh pull out our phone. I mean, really, this is how we wait. We see it at every grocery store. Pull out your phone because it's going to be a minute and a half to push your cart forwards. This is why it takes us 20 minutes to get out of the house. Uh, Just yesterday, we said, let's go for a walk before it starts raining. Great. We can leave right now. Right now. Well, one kid needs to go and get shoes, so since we're waiting, I'll go and do the dishes, which takes longer than getting shoes. Then someone else goes to change their sweater, and then I check my email because, hey, I'm waiting on them to get their sweater. No one's actually waiting. We say we are, but we're not. We're just doing our own activity in the meanwhile. One pastor says, my own waiting often feels like impatience and irritants. I grip my teeth and try to just hold on until I can move past whatever my current trial looks like. I want to get out, not welcome in. But what would it look like to shift into a mindset mindset where we are ready to receive more than to escape? No revival, 
no transformation, no move of God happens overnight. Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years of waiting, struggle, endurance as God worked to prepare them for what was next. They had to wait and keep holding on, keep hoping and pushing forwards. What would have happened if they had all just sat down or, or given up or took a side exit? Are we willing to wait? Are we praying for anything that we that is worth waiting for, that we are willing to endure for? Lastly, Anna and Simeon both knew that they needed a Messiah. They knew that they needed it, that Jerusalem needed it, that their people, their friends, their families needed a Messiah. Maybe you look around and you say, oh, I need God to work. In my family, uh, in our community, you look at hurt and pain around you, maybe just teenagers around us, maybe you know, whatever. You look around and you say, we need God to move. Or maybe most of the time you're like, I feel like things are pretty good. House is running smooth. Kids are okay. Like, I, I like our, our church. John Eldred says, Christianity has nothing to say to those who are completely happy with the way things are. Christianity has nothing to say to those who are completely happy with the way things are. If we are cool with showing up to church every Sunday, if we are cool with how our lives are, how our homes are, if we're fine with our neighborhood, we're content with the occasional person coming to know Jesus, if we are content with sick people staying sick, then we do not need breakthrough prayer. But if we are okay with family members not knowing Jesus, if we are not okay with broken relationships and broken marriages, if we're not okay with the reputation of the church being weak and anemic, if we're not okay with how our communities and towns are, then we need to wait and endure and struggle. This morning, are we in touch with our need? Do we feel our needs, or have we just moved past it? Are we willing to let ourselves be vulnerable and needy to cry out to God for him to move? I want to pause here for just a minute and give us a moment to just kind of relax maybe in your core. We're so used to being in control. Don't worry, I will start talking again. Just give us a moment to pray. Say, God, I want to be in touch with my need for you. I want to be okay with being weak so that you can be strong. I want to have things and to be vulnerable and desperate and not able, not able 
to see the full salvation that you want for me on my own. It's good to know our own need. It's good to have our need kind of anchor us and weigh us down a little bit into the center of God's grace. We don't want to be so happy with how our lives are that we don't have a need for Jesus to come and radically move. Benny Brown says that hope is a function of struggle. <coughs> we develop hope. Not during the easy or comfortable times, but through adversity and discomfort. Hope is forced when our goals, pathways, and agencies are tested and when change is actually possible. That's when we hope is when there is a struggle, something to hope for in the midst of the situations. And friends, I think God is bringing us into a time of breakthrough. I think God has so much more for us. We are not in a time of revival. I think that's obvious. Uh, if this is what revival looks like, I'm a tiny bit disappointed. Um, but we could be. We could be. And my, my heart before Jesus is just like, well, why not? Why not here? Why not us? Why not me? I don't see any good reason why not. And I don't want to say, well, I did my best. I did a good job. I want to say God did his best. God did a good job. I think we have an amazing church community here. God's promises to us over the last 20 years have been yes and amen but I think to see the breakthrough of all that God wants for us in our church, we will need to wait, endure, and struggle to see the breakthrough. I really, really love, uh, I don't know who said it. It wasn't me. Um, and I've tried to Google and find out. Uh, someone said, my great need and your greater faithfulness have met. I have all that I need in you. My great need, God's greater faithfulness, have met. We have everything we need in Jesus. Now, just to pause here real quick. Some of you may be saying, yes, but. Yes, but. I see what you're saying, but isn't, you know, I need a little, um, I need a little prop for this. Um. I think when we start talking about leaning into more, thank you, um, let's, uh, let's make uh, this one the first one. Um, some of us say, you know, I, I see what you're saying, Sarah, but let's just be realistic. So you guys are the realistic camp because, let's be honest, our life is pretty good. Here we are sitting in the richest country in the world. We have uh, heat, indoor heating. We all, most of us drove here in cars. Uh, we are forgiven. We are saved. Our names are written in heaven for eternity. Isn't this good enough? 
And speaking of being realistic, I see far better Christians than little old me, not running around seeing the miraculous happen all the time. Why can't we just be content with how things are? This is probably as good as things are going to get. Anyways, now I'm all for being realistic. I'm a big fan of being realistic. We have many of us been around Christians who have over-spiritualized things and Christians who are going through whoever knows what, and you say, how's life? Oh, it's amazing, blessed, and wonderful. Like, really? That's not what the whole rest of your family say. Oh, yes, it's spiritually, it's amazing. Kind of thought if it was so amazing spiritually, it would show up in, you know, the earthly situations. I'm all for being realistic. We are people where heaven and earth meets. Heaven and earth together. We are earthly and realistic, but we are also people who set our hopes on heaven. And some of you may be like, ah, yes, heaven, that is my home. I expect life to be like heaven here and now. Jesus paid for everything. I would like the full menu. Yes, please, um, Why should I have to go through any sickness? Jesus has conquered sickness. I I think I'm just going to have a blessed life with everything. Always very optimistic. Faith is not about one or the other. Faith sets our hopes on Jesus and on what Jesus can do. Faith is not spiritual optimism and fantasies. Faith is not earthly realism. Faith is set on what Jesus can do. We are not bound by past experiences or enamored by other people's great experiences. We see who Jesus is and what he can do. Uh, Simeon. Simeon waited with faith. He was not being realistic. He was also not dreaming grand spiritualized fantasies. Simeon was satisfied with a baby. He said he saw everything fulfilled. Not fulfilled. There's no Messiah here. He saw everything fulfilled with the child Jesus because he had faith. Anna, she was worshiping a a, a baby. And Jesus is nine pounds. He's nursing and sleeping. He's not Messiahing or Savioring yet. They were not defined by their circumstances. They had faith in Jesus. All right, let's move these out. They don't, um, they don't match our decor. <clears throat> but friends, when we say that we want more, it's not because that we aren't happy with what God has done. Anna and Simeon, they loved God just as is. That's how they walked and persevered for so long. They had so much to be thankful for. They just prayed, thank you, and more. They would have been happy with God if this day at the temple hadn't happened, and we'll be content. God is working in this church. New folks are connecting in. We have good community. Maybe some of you here have lifelong friends 
Maybe some of you here have turned to folks in times of need and found so much support. Um, My children are being raised up, loving church, uh, knowing scripture here in the church. We have so much to be thankful for. People are coming to know Jesus. We're serving the community in some new ways. We're trying and risking some things and, and serving the community. If nothing more happens, I have no complaints. It's all good. But Simeon got to hold Jesus. Simeon got to hold Jesus. He's actually the only person in Scripture that we're told held Jesus. I mean, we're pretty sure Mary did. (laughs) But Simeon didn't just see him from a distance. Jesus wasn't God with us. Jesus was God with me. And friends, I'd like more. Because I believe Not because I deserve it. I feel like a pretty ordinary Christian most of the time. But because I know that God is so good, is so generous. Because I know that there is the fullness of what he does. I know that there is more. And we have nothing to lose. Imagine if Anna had prayed for 60 years and and did not see Jesus in the temple that day. Would her years have been wasted? Would she have regretted that time? No, of course not. Her choices were as, you know, a a, a widow, a grieving, uh, or dedicating herself to the Lord. She had intimacy with God. She was not labeled a a widow, as widows often were in, in Scripture. She was called a prophet, I guarantee you, she had seen God do great things every single year of those 60 years she prayed. Her years would not have been wasted. We have nothing to lose by praying big and holding on. We will never regret asking God boldly for things. It's better than timidly never submitting our requests with Anna, with the Anna and Simeon life, we might just get to hold the work of God in our very own hands. If we struggle, if we wait, if we endure in prayer, we can see the work of God completed in our lives and around us. Are we willing to hold out and wait in prayer for the breakthrough God is going to bring? Worship team, if you guys want to come on up. Friends, let's stand together. We're going to respond in worship. And as we move into worship, thinking about these two cones, I think for some of us, We have been very realistic. Don't get your hopes up too much, and maturity just says simmer down. Some of us praying big might seem like wishful thinking or, I I, I don't know, just what we want to make God to do. Today, we want to set our hopes on Jesus. He is our hope. We don't want to lower our expectations. We want to raise our expectations to Jesus.
So let's pray. Jesus, this morning, we look not at our situations or our circumstances. We not look n not at what would be reasonable or we think that we could reasonably ask for considering our circumstances. But we look to you. We look to you, Jesus. We look to who you are. You are God with us, and you are God working for us here and now. And this morning, this October morning, you are actively working for us. Jesus, would that be a reality for us today? That you are here, that you are on our side. And we're going to hold out for you and what you're going to do. We say yes to you, Jesus. We open our hearts and our minds to you, Jesus. We say yes to who you are and yes to what you want to do.